Ask about Persepolis and most likely you will be told it's an animated film. Certainly, that was the category in which it was nominated for an Academy Award in 2007. Unfortunately, such is the enormous branding power that when someone mentions animation, we think of Disney. Or, since they acquired Pixar, we think of WALL-E, Up and Inside Out. And great as many Disney and Pixar pictures are, their form has come to determine our expectation of what an animated film actually is. Cuddly characters on fantasy adventures with lashings of comedy and happy endings. Disney and Pixar's Holy Grail is a four-quadrant picture, an audience that is equally male, equally female, over and under 25. In securing that, Disney and Pixar know that everything has to be clearly understood. There can be no confusion, no ambiguity and no complexity. Likewise, there can be no violence, no profanity, nudity, sexuality, politics or religion. In other words, nothing controversial is permitted to derail the audience's pre-held position. But if ever there were a film that confounds that precept, it is Marjan Satrapi's Persepolis. Adapted by Satrapi from her own graphic novel, it tells of her experiences growing up in the 1970s and 80s. Here is Satrapi. You know, I love popular art and that is why also I make cinema. You know, I basically, based, my basis, basis come from painting. And then I made comic books because I wanted to make popular art because I didn't want, you know, to make some painting that go to some galleries and then some elite people, they would come and watch my paintings and that would be it. I wanted to make, I said, I can make something that would be popular and not stupid. It is possible to, to make something that everybody can read, but it's well made. And it was really, for me, a conviction. I wanted to do that. Adapted by Satrapi from her own graphic novel, it tells of her experiences growing up in the 1970s and 80s. She was born in 1969 to an Iranian middle-class family in Rasht, a city that lies on the northern coast to the Caspian Sea. Her parents were politically opposed to the reign of the Shah, whose power originated early in World War II, when Britain and the Soviet Union decided they needed Persian oil to fuel their campaign against the Nazis. In the years immediately after the war, the Shah was initially very progressive. Women got the vote, literacy levels greatly increased, the economy boomed, he developed close ties with Israel, and the country was secularised. But at the same time, Iran became a one-party state, and the Shah increasingly dictatorial, and his regime corrupt and oppressive. Opponents were rounded up, tortured, murdered and exiled. By 1978, Iran was under martial law, which may have pleased his supporters in the West, but to Iranians, it was an unsustainable situation. Within a year, the Shah was deposed by an Islamic revolution and he fled into exile, dying in Cairo, while the Ayatollah Khomeini, whom the Shah had himself exiled, returned to Tehran and transformed the country into a theocracy. Here is Satrapi again. Part of my work is based on the memories and feelings because I'm an exiled person and like any exiled person, I always go to the past. The things that touches me, that is the things that I have grown up with, that is, that is the things that is really, you know, it is on my skin. Everybody does that. Even the guys who make sci-fi movie, you know, with full of monsters and this thing, 
it comes from an internal fear, it comes from obsessions, it comes from whatever is extremely personal. With the cycle of tyranny and violence continuing, Satrapi's parents sent her to school in Vienna, where her life diverged wildly from that of her homeland. Returning as a much-changed adult, Satrapi found Iran equally changed. Noting the differences, she set her sights on writing about her experiences. But she found those experiences far too radicalised to neatly slot into a traditional memoir. So she opted to do it in the form of a graphic novel. And through that format, she confronted the political times of her homeland via the personal adventures of her own life. Just as there were two Irans, the theocratic life emanating from the mosques and the secular opposition it drove underground, so too were the two Marjan satrapies, the strange girl in a strange land and the return to exile estranged from those at home. And while the country succumbed to tyranny, Satrapy became an independent woman. Hardly the stuff of a Hollywood animated picture. In Persepolis, I made the film in animation because the drawing is something abstract. So anybody can identify to a drawing. So that was really a reason why I wanted to make it in animation and nothing else. And that is the key to the film's success. Rather than adapting the familiar CGI that Hollywood uses to give every animated picture a colourful and glossy sheen, Satrapi and her co-director, Vincent Parenot, went in another direction entirely. To fully grasp it, we need to look at the history of animation. Be it the Magic Lantern, Thaumatrope or Tsoetrope, animation has been around for hundreds of years. In fact, the oldest surviving animated film dates from 1906, when newspaper journalist J. Stuart Blackton sketched out humorous phases of funny faces. Delivering 20 frames a second, each frame crucially but marginally different from the next, what Blackton did was pave the way for what is known as the keyframe. A keyframe is the start and end point of any movement and it helps deliver a smooth transition from one movement to the next. This is the basis for Hollywood animation. And perhaps the biggest breakthrough for Hollywood came in 1937, when Walt Disney gambled a fortune on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the world's first full-length, sound-synchronised, technicolour animated feature. In making the film, Disney had invested heavily in research and development that pursued extensive storyboarding, favoured anatomically correct drawing, and 3D perspectives created by a multiplane camera. In other words, Disney industrialised the art form. More than that, he rationalised the cartoon. And in so doing, he was pursuing a realism. Realism? Really? Well, yes. All spaces are rendered in three dimensions. The characters are anatomically correct. And all movement obeys gravity. To infinity! And beyond. But here's a question about animation. If animation is limited only by the strength of your imagination, why weigh down your imagination with the laws of Newtonian physics? Thankfully, there are other ways. Ironically, they stem from the release of Disney's Snow White. A commercial and critical smash 
Disney's animators soon went on strike. They claimed Disney had reneged on a deal to share the profits of the feature film. Disney countered by claiming they were members of the Communist Party, and the standoff lasted months. The differences were more than just political, legal and financial. They were aesthetic. The hundreds of animators who were either fired or left Disney set up their own animation house, the United Productions of America. UPA rejected Disney's realism and instead embraced modernism. This meant that space was no longer visualised realistically in a 3D manner. Rather, it was merely suggested. Instead of a floor, there would be a rug that seemed to float in the empty space. There were no walls either, just a door that suggested a wall around it. UPA broke further away from the Disney rationale by reducing the number of animated cells per second. They dropped linking frames, and then repeated frames, so nothing ran smoothly. Such innovation was rewarded by the industry when, in 1951, Gerald McBoing-Boing won the Oscar for Best Animated Short. Gerald McBoing-Boing was produced by John Hubley, who had left Disney during the strike, and the next year, Hubley made Rooty Toot Toot, a cartoon short of such breathtaking audacity that in 1994, it was voted one of the 50 greatest cartoons ever made. Rudy Toot Toot. Rudy Toot Toot. Right in the snoot. Paradoxically, UPA's individuality found root in Eastern Europe, most notably the Zagreb School in the former Yugoslavia, an animation studio founded in 1956. The Zagreb School limited animation to critique oppressive authoritarian regimes. Non-linear, non-objective abstract works and established high-quality auteur animation. The Zagreb School Manifesto stated that to animate is to give life and soul to a design, not through the copying but through the transformation of reality. To give life is to reveal something about the figure that cannot be achieved in live action. In 1961, the Zagreb School released Surrogat, that went on to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Short, the first non-American work to do so. Watching it on YouTube, you will see that it defies the laws of physics, contests our perceived views of space and time, and endows lifeless things with dynamic, vibrant properties. It changes the world, creates magical effects, questions previous representations of reality and reinterprets how reality can be viewed. It's certainly not a documentary about my life and it's certainly a subjective point of view and it's certainly that when you make a, st- a script, you know, the part of the storytelling, we should never forget it. So if it, I pretend that is 100% autobiographical, that means that the dog looks like the dog that I draw, that this thing that I said, exactly I said this thing, which, which is not true, of course, is a part of, of storytelling. It's based on my own experiences. And then, you know, I think even documentaries, they are, they are part fictional. As soon as you, you make a story, you have to have some fiction. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Which is precisely how Persepolis works. For starters, it is predominantly in black and white. And although the characters are human, their rendering is not always anatomically correct. 
Furthermore, while keyframes are used, in-between frames are dropped and repeated. Likewise, areas of the screen are left blank, encouraging the audience to use their own imaginations to fill in the emptiness. Can you imagine a Disney film doing the same thing? And then imagine a Disney film addressing such divisive issues as class relations, labour, imperialism, censorship, sexuality, religion, violence, ideology, politics, revolution and propaganda. Hardly the sort of content that would secure you the four quadrants. But what is great about Persepolis is that despite those themes, it is not a polemic. It is a personal story that charts the multiple changes Marjan Satrapi has experienced in her own life. She starts out as a young girl who goes from being a daughter to a nihilistic punk, then a disco dancer, before becoming an anarchist hippie, a wife, a diarist, a critic and a satirist. So what is she now? I like to think that she's all those things. Very complex. Very complex.